31st class. We're going to review question 30 today and then learn question 31 together. A couple questions up front for review. But first, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for time now to read your word, not only to read your word, but with the help of your Holy Spirit to understand your word. We say this in Jesus name. Amen. So a couple questions for review. Back to question 28. What happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? Let's say it together. At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. So then, question 29, how can we be saved? Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in His substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we are guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil, Nevertheless, God, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in Him. So question 30, which we memorized this past week. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in His Word, trusting in Him, and also receiving and resting on Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the Gospel. Okay, has anybody memorized question 30 and would like to say it this morning? What is faith in Jesus Christ? Okay, good job. That brings us to question 31 this week, which is what do we believe? So what is it? We believe all that's in God's word. So what is it? Here's a summary. What do we believe by true faith? It's pretty long this week. So if you remember, if you remember, the kids version is the yellow. Yeah, so you really don't you really don't gain you really don't gain a whole lot this week. So let's say it together. I'll read the question again. What do we believe? The font had to be a lot so much smaller this week, so I don't even know if you can all read it. What do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the gospel. The Apostles' Creed expresses what we believe in these words. We believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. There's a lot there. Jude, what's that? Yes, yeah, we'll go over that. Jude chapter 3 says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so sometimes in the New Testament when the word faith is used, it's referring to a body of doctrine. It's referring to a, a body of belief. And that's what this is. And that's what we mean when we say a statement of faith. And so what we'll be memorizing this week is the Apostles' Creed. It says at the beginning, what we believe is everything taught to us in the Gospel. And the Apostles' Creed expresses what we believe in these words. So the Apostles' Creed, um, a little bit of history, is, is really the oldest statement of faith that Christianity has. It wasn't actually written by the apostles. Um, it didn't show up until the second century, and I think formally in the third century. But it was meant to be a statement of the doctrine that the apostles believed. So this was the, the gospel. This was the theology. This was the basic doctrine that the apostles believed and handed down. And so every once in a while throughout church history, even beginning in the second century, well, even beginning actually in, in the Bible, you can read in the Bible, there are times like in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul or another author will give just a real succinct, brief summary of what the gospel teaches. And that's been very useful throughout uh, the church. So we have a statement of faith here at Veritas. We have a Veritas members doctrinal statement. And it defines what we believe. And be thankful we're not memorizing that because it's even longer than this. But there's been times throughout church history, oftentimes because of specific heresies or wrong teaching, where it became important for the church again to put out a statement of belief, a statement of faith. And again, this is one of the very earliest ones is the Apostles' Creed. So I'm just going to go through this um, little by little, part by part. Uh, just to make sure that we understand exactly what this is that we say we believe. Um, I'll start at the beginning. We believe in God the Father Almighty. So you'll see throughout this, we're going to have the Trinity expressed. We're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it begins with the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. So we believe in God the Father Almighty. Next part, maker of heaven and earth. So we believe that all things have been created by God. He is the creator. He is the maker of heaven and earth. We also believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the only Son of God. And we believe that Jesus is our Lord. That He is our Master. That He rules over us. 
who was, and now this is all about Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So we believe in the virgin birth. As Matthew and Luke teach us that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, who had never been with a man. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and supernaturally caused her to conceive this child, who is Jesus. So he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died and was buried. He descended into hell. Now that's a, probably the most difficult part of the Apostles' Creed. If you were to search, if you were to do an internet search for that, what does that mean? You'd get a lot of different answers, actually. Um, my research shows that actually that phrase, he descended into hell, when we look back at our oldest copies of the Apostles' Creed, it, it actually isn't in all of them. So that, that has caused some speculation that maybe that was added. And maybe, Avery, if you're up here, you need to be very quiet, okay? And so that has caused speculation that, that maybe that was added later. And it wasn't part of the original Apostles' Creed. And, and maybe we shouldn't include it in the Apostles' Creed today. Well, first of all, remember the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. So we're not talking the same thing as like adding something to, to the Bible. Um, it's not that big of a deal. Um, the question becomes, what does that mean? What could that mean? Do we include it or not include it? I see no reason to remove it from the Apostles' Creed. There's still plenty of evidence to tell us that uh, it, it's been a part of and was even a part of the original Apostles' Creed. So let me just give you a, a couple ideas of, of what that could mean. Or maybe maybe be better to do this. What, what it doesn't mean for sure I would say, and then offer a, um, a suggestion as to, as to what it does mean, all the while saying that I'm not certain. Yeah, I'm not certain what that means to say that Jesus descended into hell. But I'm in good company. There are many great theologians who, who are not, not sure what, what they had in mind when they said that. So, um, as I said, it didn't show up until the middle of the third century. Um, here's what it does not mean. It doesn't mean, as some have said, that between his death and between his resurrection, that he had to go and suffer in hell to complete the punishment for sin. So that has been a popular belief in church history, that he descended into hell because he needed to suffer the wrath of God in hell in order to fulfill the propitiation in order to pay the full price. Now, there's just a couple reasons that to me that's not the case. Um, and the biggest one is that when Jesus was, was on the cross before he died, he said, it is finished. And my understanding has always been that when he said it is finished, that was the price of sin has been paid. Redemption has been purchased for God's people. 
Um, God had already, even on the cross, forsaken His own Son. He had poured out His wrath. I think all the suffering that He was to experience was experienced there on the cross, not in the grave, but on the cross. And we said, it is finished. He really meant, it is finished. Now he also said, do you remember, one of the men that was on one of the crosses next to him, who apparently repented at the end of his life, a deathbed conversion, which is another amazing story. But Jesus, you remember, said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And nowhere in the Bible is paradise used to mean hell. So I take that to mean that Jesus did not literally descend in those two scriptures specifically, did not literally descend into hell between his death and his resurrection to complete the the payment that was owed for sin. So so here's a possibility of what it does mean. And again, uh, I am not sure. Uh, There's three other texts that you could look up on your own if you want. I'll read one of them. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 through 6 kind of hints at this. Jude 6 and 7 sort of hint at it. And I think 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20 might also hint at it. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which, in the Spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Wow. Okay, so so I I think that 1 Peter 3 might be referring, those days of Noah might be referring back to Genesis chapter 6. And if you read in Genesis chapter 6, like in a lot of those books of the Old Testament, there's a wild story. There's a wild story about these, what I think were were angels that had turned from God. These angels came to earth. They impregnated women on earth. And then they had these like super sort of sub-supernatural children called the Nephilim. You remember, you remember that story? It's a, it's a pretty wild story. Um, and I think as you track through the book of Genesis, and, and even actually you can still see this today, the beginning, God promised that he was going to save his people through a seed of the woman. And so you see throughout history, even today, we can think of this in very stark ways um, based on like what we talked about last week. Satan is, is at, at war against mothers and their wombs and against children. Well, if you go all the way back to the promise, the promise was that God would send a child. So you see all these attempts, I think, throughout the Old Testament where Satan's trying to foil that plan. And he is really working against, working against the children of these women who love God. So Genesis 6 talks about this story. I think in 1 Peter 3, what's happening, what it's talking about is that at some point Jesus in the Spirit goes and somehow over in hell to that prison, to those who were there that tried to foil, that, tried to foil that plan. He's preaching victory over them. You failed. It didn't work. Now you see for yourself. You can put all those scriptures together. But I think Jesus may have descended to hell after his death and preached the message of victory to the what are called in Genesis 6 the sons of God, which were wicked angels. We read about them in Genesis chapter 6. They conspired 
with Satan to overthrow God's promise and plan to deliver his people through a godly seed of the woman. So it may be referring to that. That in some way he did descend to hell and preached victory to those who were in that prison who had tried to overthrow and thwart God's plan. So that's one possibility. Uh, there's a couple others that I, I found less convincing. Uh, but it doesn't mean, I'm confident saying it doesn't mean when it says he descended into hell, that Jesus literally went to hell to suffer punishment. His suffering and his punishment was completed on the cross. Save it for after? Okay. The third day he rose again from the dead. So, of course, we believe that. We're going to celebrate that at Easter. We really celebrate it every Sunday that he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, there's more to come, he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe, here's the third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And Heath made the point, it's a lowercase c. Catholic is not a bad word. Catholic just means universal. It just means universal. So we believe in the universal church. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. People for and from all time who have placed their faith in Jesus and the promises of God. So we do believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church. Believe in the communion of saints. Refers now to the local church, to fellowship. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the resurrection of the body. This is now talking about the future. One day we'll receive resurrected bodies and the life everlasting. So you put all this together. That is the Apostles' Creed and it is a summary a very brief summary of all that Christians believe. Did any of you grow up in churches where you memorized the Apostles' Creed? Okay. So some of you some of you did. A lot of churches recited every week together. Yeah, like we do our congregational reading. Many churches do the the entire Apostles' Creed. Okay, so it's familiar to many of you. Let me um let me quote let me quote from John Wesley, that took us a while to get through all that, more than usual. So let me read this quote from John Wesley, and then we'll review it one more time. And Andrew, you come up afterwards, okay? Talk about your question, if you still have it. John Wesley said, but what is faith? What is faith? Not an opinion. Not an opinion. No more than it is a form of words. Not any number of opinions put together, be they ever so true. A string of opinions is no more Christian faith than a string of beads is Christian holiness. It is not an assent to any opinion or any number of opinions. A man may assert to three or three and twenty creeds. He may assent to all the Old and New Testament, at least as far as he understands them, and yet have no Christian faith at all. Faith is more than that. It's more than just being able to say what the Old Testament teaches or what the New Testament teaches and to give opinions on this doctrine or that doctrine. Christian faith, this is put well, is a divine evidence 
or conviction wrought in the heart that God is reconciled to me through His Son. Inseparably joined with a confidence in Him as a gracious, reconciled Father. As for all things, so especially for all those good things which are invisible and eternal. To believe in the Christian sense is then to walk in the light of eternity and to have a clear sight of and confidence in the Most High, reconciled to me through the Son of His love. Let's read it one more time together. Question 31. What do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the Gospel. The Apostles' Creed expresses what we believe in these words. We believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this summary of the Gospel, this summary of what Your Word teaches that has been handed down to us for generations. Help us this week for those of us who set our minds to it, to memorize it. Not only to memorize it so that we can say it, but to memorize it so that these truths that we believe are in our hearts. We pray for the rest of this morning as we worship You with the rest of this church family. And our hope and prayer ultimately is that You would be praised and You would be glorified in all we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.